Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are Jim Fryer, our managing editor, and John Celentano, our business editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. That brings us to our first story from Monday, which is about Ericsson. Yes, hi, Leslie. Uh, Jim Fryer here. Yeah, Ericsson came up with some big news in uh, their relationship with Verizon, which probably served as no surprise. Uh, the former CEO of Verizon is, was the CEO of Ericsson prior to this. So figured something might be, might be brewing, and it, and it finally did. They signed an $8.3 billion multi-year 5G network equipment agreement between Verizon and Ericsson. And it's the largest contract in, in Ericsson's history. Uh, and came at a great time for Ericsson because um, things weren't going so good in China, uh, which I'll, I'll touch on in a second. But the agreement basically outlined that, that Verizon plans to deploy Ericsson's 5G, MIMO, C-band, low-band, and millimeter wave equipment, including massive MIMO and Ericsson and Ericsson Spectrum Sharing and Ericsson Cloud RAN, which are part of their whole radio system portfolio, and that supports the 5G services. The equipment deal follows Verizon's purchase of mid-band spectrum in the C-band auction in January this year, where it won between 140 megahertz and 200 megahertz of spectrum for each market. Uh, for 52, we paid 52.9 billion uh, including incentive payments and clearing costs. At the same time, uh, it, it came in a good time uh, for Ericsson because their sales to the three major carriers in China fell by 60% in the second quarter. The drop in sales is seen as a retaliation based on the Swedish government's banning of the Huawei equipment. What happened after that, Leslie? Well, thank you, Jim. We also had a story on Monday uh, about the Wireless Infrastructure Association. Its president and CEO, Jonathan Adelstein, said he's been traveling the country speaking with contractors who build wireless and wired broadband networks. He told the Media Institute this week the companies are excited about the prospect of $65 billion in broadband deployment subsidies for rural areas. Um, that's what a bipartisan group of senators is trying to hammer out. But he cautioned to a person, they told me they are very busy and they're already having trouble keeping up with the business they already have coming in the door. They're also, also confronting three major bottlenecks in short supply right now. Heavy equipment and telecom gear reliant on chips, materials like fiber, which is back ordered for up to a year already, he said, and skilled labor prepared to do work in the field. 
He said, right now, there's bad timing on all three, which means this could take a lot longer than policymakers hope. And that brings us to Tuesday. John, what do you have for us? Hey, Leslie, interesting story from DISH. And if you follow DISH at all, they're always interesting uh, and always full of surprises. But in an announcement, DISH indicated that it had signed a network services agreement with AT&T. This follows souring of the relationship that DISH had with T-Mobile. DISH had acquired T-Mobile's prepaid uh, business, uh, Boost Mobile, um, in the aftermath of the merger between T-Mobile and Sprint, and was going to be running uh, traffic from those prepaid users across the T-Mobile network. Well, they got into a bit of a a dispute because T-Mobile indicated they would be shutting down the 3G network that carries that traffic sooner than DISH expected. And so we're, we went, we got to a point where DISH decided to use another carrier, in this case, AT&T. AT&T becomes the primary uh, carrier for uh, the network uh, services that it will provide to DISH for DISH's mobile virtual network operator status and, and their customers. And this agreement will affect DISH's retail wireless brands, including Boost Mobile, Ting Mobile, and Republic Wireless, in addition to some aspects of the new DISH 5G network. Uh, as part of the agreement, DISH has agreed to pay AT&T at least $5 billion over the course of a 10-year term. Uh, when the agreement ends, DISH will be able to continue to use the AT&T network service to support its MBNO customers for up to two more years. And the whole deal seems to reflect uh, frustration uh, with T-Mobile and that um, T-Mobile's, uh, with, with T-Mobile's indicated that they wanted to shut down the, the 3G network and, and also some uh, bickering over uh, use of 12 gigahertz band that both DISH and T-Mobile were, were looking for. So uh, a lot of coverage on this uh, particular topic and we're gonna watch with interest to see how it unfolds. Well, thank you, John. Our next story on tap came from the Multicultural Media Telecom and Internet Council. This is a nonprofit that helps small minority stations uh, get into ownership. Um, They collected several former FCC chairmen um, for a discussion about broadband and other things going on right now. Uh, Ajit Pai, who was chair from 2017 to 2021, explain that it's more expensive to bring broadband to less populated areas. And he believes that makes a case for the FCC and the rest of the federal government to step in. Um, He's happy to hear about the infrastructure plan being negotiated right now. And he said the White House and the Hill recognize this is a national priority. Mignon Clyburn, she was a commissioner and then she was acting chair from May to November of 2013. She said the digital divide has not been tackled completely because there is no single reason why it exists. She cited barriers in terms of topography and companies not being able to make a business case for less populated areas. And she said part of the challenge has been a siloed approach within the FCC because of how its bureaus and offices are structured. She thinks a holistic complementary approach is needed citing private-public partnerships that other countries use. Bill Kennard, um, he was chair from 1997 to 2001. He was the only one on the panel who was not a commissioner before being named chairman. He was actually the general counsel. 
He said, because our networks are so dynamic, we will always be addressing this issue to some extent. Um, But he said the networks have been incredibly resilient, especially through the pandemic. He said, imagine if the pandemic had hit five or 10 years ago. Um, And he said, you know, average speeds in the past 15 years have gone from five megabits per second to 100 megabits per second. Uh, Dick Wiley was FCC chair from 1974 to 1977. He emphasized the need for digital education for those living in low-income housing so they know how to use online tools. He said, we can put in all the equipment possible, uh, but a cell phone alone isn't going to do it all the time for all the uses that people need. And then that brings us to Wednesday, AT&T and JBG Smith, a mixed use property developer, entered into a letter of intent to provide smart city amenities to the neighborhoods of Crystal City, Pentagon City and Potomac Yard. Um, Those are known collectively as National Landing. Uh, They're in the Washington DC Metro. They're actually um, in Northern Virginia. The first network infrastructure developments are planned for the first half of 2022, and they will expand with development of the community. The AT&T agreement is the next step for JBG Smith, which spent $25.3 million on four priority access licenses totaling 40 megahertz in Arlington and three of those licenses in Alexandria. The licenses span more than 16.2 million square feet. And that brings us to our second story from Wednesday. Take it away, Jim. Thanks, Leslie. On Wednesday, Digital Bridge, our friends down in Boca Raton, uh, reportedly are in talks to buy some data centers uh, out in the out in the Far East. Uh, if there are, uh, there's a company called PCCW, and they own nine data centers in throughout mainland China, Hong Kong, and Malaysia. And this is all according to Bloomberg, uh, who uh, came out with this story. That those data centers are owned by a billionaire named Richard Lee. And apparently Mr. Lee was shopping those that whole portfolio in April. And um, part of the reason might have been that uh, some strict security laws were being imposed uh, by the Chinese government in, in Hong Kong. So uh, the digital bridge undaunted by all of that. Uh, has, according to Bloomberg, put in an offer, and um, we'll, we'll see what happens. They had no comment uh, when I contacted Mr. Gansey, the CEO of Digital Bridge, and uh, he's uh, holding back on information for now, but uh, we'll see what happens. Digital Bridge currently has $32 billion in assets under management from the Colony Capital portfolio, and that includes controlling interest in Vantage data centers, Aptum Technologies, Agile Data Centers, Data Bank. Uh, they're the ones who brought uh, Z Colo and Scale Data Centers in Brazil. So uh, more happening on the data front in the Far East for dig- dig- more happening in the data front in the Far East for Digital Bridge. And that brings us to a story from you, John, from Thursday about Verizon. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, Verizon is uh, interesting. Is firing at all cylinders. The um, in their second quarter um, earnings calls, uh, Chairman and CEO Hans Vestberg said that the, uh, the their operations are quickly resuming pre-pandemic norms, uh, at least compared to how they were doing a year ago. 
and um, they're, they're um, functioning and, and meeting their goals on, on their five growth vectors and reported um, on the top line some, uh, some really uh, good results. Their revenues grew to 28.2 billion, up 6% from a year ago. Um, and uh, they generated uh, nearly $12 billion in uh, free cash flow. So uh, good, good financial results. They also added uh, to their subscriber base and recorded a total of uh, 121.3 million postpaid and prepaid postpaid and prepaid subscribers, making them the, um, the, the leading wireless uh, uh, company in the country. Um, what, uh, what is a little bit of a uh, dichotomy here is that even though they're performing well at the top line, and with their spending and investing on their network uh, to build out their 5G and expand their services, uh, is actually uh, a little bit on the downside. For the first six months of uh, this year, they uh, reported uh, an aggregate of $8.7 billion in CapEx, down 11% from 9.9 in the same period in 2020. Uh, they are, however, maintaining their year-end guidance of 17.5 to 18.5 billion uh, for all their capital expenditures for 2021. Um, what is interesting is that uh, now that they have a huge swath of C-band, they're, they're putting that money into play and expect to be quite busy uh, over the next couple of years in building out the C-band. They did acknowledge so far they've only spent $160 million uh, towards the C-band build-out, but that'll ramp up substantially towards the end of the year as spectrum blocks in the top 46 markets are cleared. And, and allow Verizon to start activating that. So they have budgeted uh, over the next three years, uh, two to three billion a year, uh, incrementally to their, their overall CapEx program just for C-band. And uh, we expect that to, uh, to pick up uh, nicely through the third quarter and into the fourth quarter where uh, our projections show that they're gonna be spending uh, at least a billion and a half towards the end of the year. Uh, for, for C-band build-outs. So their, their plan is to build seven to 8,000 C-band cell sites in 2021 and then uh, continue to, to ramp up over the next several years to that first SWAT will reach roughly 100 million people by the first quarter of 2022. And they're actually pushing uh, the build-out over the next three years to cover about 250 million people. So uh, interesting developments uh, and we'll, we'll watch with interest. Thank you, John. And now, Jim, that brings us to Friday. What's up with Apple? Thanks, Leslie. As our loyal readers know, we like to cover the wide world of wireless infrastructure and inside towers. It doesn't just include the, uh, the big macro tower guys or the small cells, uh, but uh, we like to see what's going on with the, with the handset manufacturers as well. And on Friday, we had a story about Apple, who got into the 5G handset market in 2020. Um, they were preceded by Samsung and, and some others uh, introducing 5G capable phones. But in 2020, they still had the 4G handsets and now they are going to be fading those out and all Apple iPhones in 2022 will be 5G phones. The, um, even the, the cheapest handset that Apple had, the iPhone SE will go 5G and have Apple's premium 
A15 processor and Qualcomm's X50 modem chip in uh, in the handset. So, um, but the, the 4G phones are being are being phased out. Uh, nonetheless, Apple's complete commitment to 5G will be good news for carriers, which are they're pushing 5G phones as a way to get more customers, obviously onto their networks. Uh, so, I think for everybody in the industry, the the mantra there is the more 5G phones uh, out there on the market, uh, the better. Well, thanks, Jim. And John, that brings us to our last story of the week about Crown Castle. And what a story it is. The um, Crown uh, held its uh, second quarter earnings call uh, uh, this week. And uh, interesting development with... Um, the type of work they're doing and how they're how they're supporting their carrier customers. Uh, during that call, they announced that the that the, one of their major customers had uh, reprioritized their network development, and whereas Crown was uh, the big supplier of small cells for this and other um, wireless carriers, uh, uh, originally projecting to to deploy at a roughly a ten thousand a year pace. Uh, Crown advised that it now expects to deploy 5,000 small cells in 2021 and the same number in 2022. It does point out it has a committed backlog of around 30,000 sites to be built. And now it expects the balance of uh, roughly 20,000 small cells to be installed beyond 2022. Uh, the shift didn't really affect its financial performance. In fact, uh, the company reported uh, for the quarter site leasing revenues of 1.4 billion they were up from 8% from 1.3 billion uh, in the year prior. Uh, also a, a key metric in, in the tower business adjusted funds from operations or AFFO uh, was up 22% to 741 million from 609 million in uh, 2Q20. So uh, understand that, you know, Crown Castle is a mix of infrastructure with towers over 40,000 towers, 80,000 fiber route miles, and 50,000 small cells in service with another 30,000 in backlog. Uh, it, it has a, a, a very robust mix of, of infrastructure assets. And it points to that to suggest that even though one part of their business may slow down, their, um, uh, their main business in towers is actually doing uh, very well. In fact, they've um, they're seeing some of the highest level of activity on their towers in, in their entire history. Um, so that uh, you know, even though they uh, they weren't surprised that there was a shift uh, to micro macro cells from small cells, they didn't expect it to quite come so uh, so quickly. They see it more as a timing issue and not a loss of business. And uh, the, the management believes that its mix of tower fiber and small cell infrastructure actually gives it flexibility to adjust to changing customer priorities. The, uh, the, the change did affect its projected uh, capital expenditure plan for the year. Uh, in 2020, the company spent uh, 1.6 billion in CapEx. Uh, they were guiding to 1.5 for full year 2021. And now with this small cell reduction announcement, they've reduced that to 1.3 billion. But uh, uh, still doing well, still supporting the, the carrier build-outs for 5G and, and other applications. And uh, we're watching Crown Castle's uh, progress uh, with a lot of interest. Thank you, John. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Thanks for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. 
Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.